Yeah, well, I saw you were on Gags. I got I got to see that uh, in Green Bay when they premiered it there. I actually drove there uh, and saw it and did a couple interviews in that. And that that was a wild fun time. So yeah, it's a that's a fun film. I, you know, I was they they had uh, had some pickup shots that they needed to do after they had done most of it and. Mm-hmm. Rob, uh, the cinematographer, Rob was who, well, I don't know if he was, he wasn't cinematographer on gags. I don't think maybe was he? No, I don't remember what he, what he was, but, um, he was, they had him and Sarah had reached out to me and said, Hey, we really like your garage as a backdrop for when those guys are doing their conversations back and forth, kind of on their, um, <laughs> was, it, was it a radio show or was it uh, a Podcast or whatever. Podcast. It was podcast. a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my garage. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So we they, they shot all that in there, and we had we had a fun uh, day or so in that doing that. That was a lot of fun. So. Yeah that that looked good. So yeah, that's it's it's definitely a fun film. Uh, I know they're working on the distribution for that. So yeah. Uh, so that's good. And speaking of distribution, you you've got your film High in the Hog finally. Uh, coming to distribution soon yes um, and uh i had a discussion with uh tony walsh and then as well as b.a lewandowski who yep. uh, uh said that uh yeah uh, high on the hog has a has a little bit of a history so um why don't we <laughs> why don't we tell our listeners for uh tell my listeners first if you could and wouldn't mind tell them a little bit uh, what High in the Hog is about, and then maybe we'll dig into some of the little bit of nitty gritty of, of how it how it started. So, uh, what is High in the Hog about? Well, High in the Hog is about a pig farmer in a small town uh, who has a very big love for his family, um, his fellow townspeople, and also his family farm, and he is a big personality and a, and a big person. Um, actually it is, he is a big person physically because it's Sid Haig. Right. Um, but, uh, it's, it's about his life and how, what he goes through to save his family farm. Um, as corporate farmers started coming in and he decided to start selling marijuana to supplement his income. And, um, he found himself at some point getting in trouble with the law. And that's really what High in the Hog is all about. Yeah, it sounds very interesting, especially uh, the cast you have and everything. So uh, I want to get into all of these things. So, But where did the idea for this start? Because what you described right now sounds actually very relevant today. But I hear that uh, this idea comes back from a while ago. Yeah, you know, I grew up, um, as I just I'd said a little while ago, I grew up in a farm town in central Illinois. It was about 800 people. And um, my grandpa owned a pig farm outside of town. And it was uh, about 10 acres and, you know, just a nice little farm that uh, he had had for a while. And I kind of, I spent my early years living on that farm. Um, my grandpa was a, um, a small guy in stature, but a big guy in presence. And he wore bib overalls every day. And when you watch High on the Hog, you'll see that the majority of the time, uh, Sid, who plays Big Daddy, is 
uh, wearing bib overalls and uh, on this pig farm. So, you know, I having grown up on that farm, you know, I have a lot of memories about the, the challenges and the things that we did. You know, my dad and uh, mom and I lived on the farm when I was little. And uh, my dad had to get up every morning and feed the pigs and and take care of uh, take care of the pigs before he went to his real job. And then he'd come home at night and take care of the pigs some more. And of course, he dragged me out as a little kid and trying to help him out and doing these things. The other thing that was happened then later in life, as I as we moved into town, my grandpa still had the farm and I was out helping him a lot is I noticed a lot of the smaller farmers were starting to disappear. And it was um, it was hard to see because these were friends of mine. These were people that I went to high school with and their parents and their families. And they had smaller farms, but they were starting to lose those farms. It was a combination of things. You know, property values were changing. Uh, it was difficult to get more property or buy land. And they were starting to lose these these small family farms. They're starting to get taken over by the larger corporate farmers. And I did know a couple of guys um, that did grow weed on the side to kind of make ends meet. Um, they weren't necessarily in the town I grew up in, but they were, <laughs> there were people there that were that area that were doing it. Um, the town I grew up in, by the way, the name of it was Greenview. It's about 20 miles north of Springfield. Oh, okay. Um, I always tell everybody I graduated fourth in my class. Um, but I, what I don't tell them is there was only 26 kids in my graduating class. So <laughs> it makes me sound a lot better when I just say fourth. So <laughs> my wife, my wife uh, grew up in a uh, small town of Black River Falls. So yeah, she had, uh, I think about 48 people or something. I forgot. It was a very small uh, class as well. So yeah, our I, biggest class ever was two years before me and they had 54 kids in the class. That was the biggest ever from our high school. And I don't think it's been come close since. So. <laughs> yeah, but nothing wrong with those small towns like that. No, so. no. And I, you know, and I, and it's funny because I, there were opportunities that I got to do things there. And I, I mean, I think it, on some levels, it holds you back. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in, when I was in fourth grade, and this was, this, this actually does relate to Hog. Um, when I was in fourth grade, I was in like the advanced reading class. Well, we didn't have advanced classes. It was a small town. What they did was they took a fourth grader and put him in with the sixth grade class for reading. Mm -hmm. And since our, our grade school was K through six, our grade school building was actually K through six, I was in that same reading class for three years. And all three years, they read The Hobbit. The Hobbit was the book that we were reading in, when I was in fourth grade, and then I read it again in fifth grade. And then in sixth grade, when my actual class was with me, the teacher finally looked at me and she goes, what do you want to do this year? You've read this book. You've done all the stuff with, every, with the last two classes. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. So she said, why don't you write a screenplay? Um, I don't think she probably said screenplay, but she said, why don't you write a play for the book that we could put on as a sixth grade class. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I actually wrote a play for The Hobbit my sixth grade year in, in, in grade school. And oh, wow. our class performed it. And, you know, it was, I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, I don't remember it being great. And of course, we didn't video record or do much of anything way back in the 70s. I am an older guy. Um, 
me too. So, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, so I mean, that was really my first foray into writing. Uh, let alone, I couldn't believe it was actually a, a you know, I wrote a I wrote some dialogue and picked out certain portions of The Hobbit so that we could act it out as as a play. So it was it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun to look back on that, and I I had developed some sort of a love for the writing and 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 all of that. So all of those things just kind of come to fruition to bring, you know, brought the, to eventually get to this uh, writing of High on the Hog. So when was the uh, first draft or first version of High on the Hog? When, when did you uh, have that written? Well, I, it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting <laughs> story. I, it, I had no interest or I had no knowledge or thought of doing it except for one night, a bunch of us buddies were sitting around partying and, um, two of the guys worked at the Institute of Art. My buddy, Petey and Clint, uh, worked at the Institute of Art here down in Schaumburg. And they had just done a um, cable show that I had helped produce a couple of segments on. And we, the conversation came around to movies. And I said, why don't you guys make a movie? And they said, well, we don't like to write. Um, we like to do the stuff, but we don't like to write. And I'm like, okay. So I said, if I wrote something, would you guys make it? And they said, sure. So that was 2007. And uh, the first, I started working on the first, um, first, first writing of, of High on the mm -hmm. Punk started then. You know, I'd sit around in my, my basement in my house and, and listen to, you know, the Outlaws and Black Oak, Arkansas and, <laughs> you know, some of the, the Leonard Skinner and try to come up with, you know, these, these ideas for a script. I mean, I, I hadn't done it before. I didn't know the movie industry. I didn't know anybody in the movie industry in this area. I didn't know anything. I mean, everything I learned at that point, I learned from looking online or trying to figure out, you know, what would, what would make a good story. And, you know, I had always heard, you know, you should draw on things that you know. So I drew on my years in a farm town living in a pig farm and uh, kind of came up with that general concept of, of, of where to go. So, yeah, 2007 is, was the first, the first effort at it. Probably didn't get completed until 2008 because I, I would meet these guys, you know, once or twice a month maybe and kind of talk about it and try to figure out how we were going to make this quote unquote movie. Um, and we had, we had, I had given them a budget of like 20 or $25,000 to do this thing. So it kind of went through, we kind of went through that process. I mean, they, you know, they were encouraging and, and Petey was going to direct and Clint <laughs> was going to produce and, and uh, I was just going to get this thing written and then, you know, be involved in whatever ways I needed to be involved. You know, hell, I didn't even know what a producer and director or anybody did. I mean, conceptually I did, but I could, I had no idea what it, what it entailed at that time. So we started, we actually got to the point where I completed a script probably in 2008, like late 2008 or so we started casting um, for local talent in the Chicago area for, for this movie. Sure. Um, the There's movie, a lot of, it's actually a large community. I was surprised of. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's this whole, 
you know, underground, it's not even underground, but it's this whole, you know, community of people that know each other and know about what they're doing. But if you, if you're not in it, it's, you don't really know what's going, that it's going on. Mm -hmm. I had no clue. I've lived up here since 1984 and I had no clue. I had, I had no idea. Um, I mean, Rob, uh, my cinematographer and Tony, uh, the director and Tony Walsh, the director, Rob, Robert Patrick Stern, the cinematographer, uh, Jim Peterson, who is uh, my director of technology and all this, they lived a quarter mile from my house. <laughs> I never <laughs> met these guys. I didn't know all this talent was hidden in my, in the, my town of Bartlett at that time. Um, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, that's, that's some amazing stuff, but anyway, they weren't even involved in it at this point. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I had these buddies that we were going to do and we, we ended up coming up with this cast and they started to develop a crew and, and, you know, it seemed like it was starting to come together and, you know, it's like, okay, what's going to happen next? What should we do? You know, we did a reading of the script and, um, I'll never forget going through the reading and a couple of the actresses that we had cast were kind of shocked um, at how, uh, how crazy the script was. I guess that's the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, I mean, I had put in everything. I mean, I, when I wrote it, I didn't have any um, filters on myself thinking, ah, hey, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. It's like, I want this movie that, equated to kind of what I grew up on. I mean, mm -hmm. I spent the seventies in drive-in theaters in Springfield, Illinois. I mean, if I had a weekend where I had, could get my parents' car or, or my, one of my buddies could get his parents' car, we went to the drive-in. Yeah. You know, we saw, I mean, I, the, the films that we saw back then <laughs> had a huge influence on me as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're thinking about, you know, the seventies, I mean, uh, you're, you're, I mean, I saw death race 2000. Oh my gosh, what a great movie back in the day. I mean, just to see, you know, uh, these people getting points for running over people. I mean, it was just like fantastic, crazy stuff for a kid in a little farm town. Um, vanishing point was a huge influence and actually had an influence on this movie. Uh, every one of those types of movies. I mean, I was a huge Vincent Price fan growing up. Anything that Vincent Price was in or it ever showed up on TV, I was watching it. Um, and then I wrote, I watched, you know, all the crazy stuff when it came through. Um, what was the name of that movie? Shelley Winters was in it. Big Bloody Mama. Big oh, Mama, yeah. Bloody Mama. Yep. I mean, that, that movie had a big impact on me. It was crazy. I mean, all the grindhousey type of movies from the 70s. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to make this thing. So that's how I wrote it. Mm -hmm. you know, I wrote it because I wanted this crazy, you know, more of a high energy because a lot of the grindhouse stuff back then was kind of slow paced and, you know, but I wanted something a little more high energy. And uh, these, these, the guys were encouraging and stuff, but once we got these actors to read it, a couple of them got like, whoa, um, I'm not sure I want to do this. Apparently they, I mean, at that point, nobody had read the whole script until we did the read through. So bottom line is because of that and a few other things that happened, um, it kind of fell apart. Mm -hmm. My buddies backed out, 
uh, the, a couple of the actors decided they didn't, you know, we didn't know if we wanted to move forward. And my little uh, foray into writing and, and putting together this movie called High in the Hog was, uh, seemed to be going by the wayside. So um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, one of the women who we had cast as one of the actresses for Hog um, gave me a call. She was a, and uh, she said, would you still like to make this movie? And I'm like, okay, uh, <laughs> in here. And I'm like, she's like, well, you know, I think it'd be, we need a budget of about a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, a hundred thousand dollars. I don't have a hundred thousand dollars to throw into this thing. I said, let me see if I can raise some money and let's see what we can do. Um, little did I know at that time, she hadn't had much experience in this either. and her $100,000 budget was basically to get it shot. Uh, mm -hmm. It had no post-production in it. And um, as I found out much later, um, maybe not a lot later, but I found out later, post-production is cost as much, if not more sometimes, than the actual production itself. So that kind of became, a, uh, became an issue later. So... Anyway, she she started doing some research and reached out to some people that she knew in L.A. Uh, her and I had several conversations. I actually reached out to some of my friends. I got uh, investors of about $60,000, and I said, okay, I'll come up with the rest. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did, and we started moving forward on it. And not only did she want to act in it, she wanted to produce it and of course, I went along with it because I didn't know any better. Sure. And I didn't know that that would, would or could become an issue. So anyway, we moved move forward a little bit more and we decided, okay, we're going to start casting these, these folks and let's see what we can do and let's see what we can get. And she sent me contact information for a guy named Sid Haig. Oh. Now, I didn't know Sid. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't know that I knew Sid uh, or any of his work. I was never a big horror fan, um, which may be, may be a terrible thing to say to your audience, but um, I was never a big horror fan. I, I just, I know I watched the Vincent Price type stuff and crazy stuff back in the 60s and 70s, but I wasn't a big recent horror fan. And so I went in, I, she told me about this guy, and before I contacted his agent, you know, I watched Devil's Rejects and the House of a Thousand Corpses, and I'm like, holy crap. You know, <laughs> did a little more research on the guy, and then I was like, oh, I know who this guy is. You know, he was he had a role in, what you know, so many of my favorite shows. I mean, he was in Star Trek, and he was in, you know, um, mm -hmm. the one that just, just blew me away because I didn't even know that was who he was. He was in like 50 plus episodes of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. And I was a huge Mary Hartman fan back in the 70s because it was that was groundbreaking television back then. I mean, nobody talked about the things they talked about on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Um, I remember them the first time they brought up the daughter or one of the girls in the family getting her period. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> 
talking about this on TV. You know, so to have to think of Sid being being some one of these guys that was in, involved with a lot of that, it was it's just amazing. Um, so anyway, I I I said, okay, well, this guy's obviously got a great resume. Uh, let's reach out to his uh, agent, and so I gave his agent a call and. You know, we went back and forth on a few things, and I said, "Listen, I said we're a low-budget film; we can't do a lot. You know, what what do you want me to do? What is Sid looking for?" And we were able to work it all out. Um, it was it was great. I mean, his agent was was very good to me, and and very good to the production. Um, I then reached out to Joe Estevez and his agent, and again, very good people. Um, was was very open to working with a small filmmaker, you know. And I had never done this before. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a businessman by trade. I mean, it's what I do, and I negotiate contracts, and I I do all this stuff. But I've never done it in a movie before, or for a movie, or for talent. So Joe, in turn, then um, along with, and I'll I'll throw in his name here now too. Um, along with Bob Farster. Now, Bob Farster is an executive producer on the movie. Bob Farster lives in Elizabeth, Illinois, which is where we shot Hog. Um, and Bob owns a farm out there. Bob's kind of a shaker and a mover in the Northwest, uh, Northwest Illinois. And a lot of people out there knew him. And he was friends with Bobby Zadar, and he was friends with Joe Estevez as well. And I think they had done some stuff together in the past. So it was kind of weird the way it all kind of came together. Um, you know, Joe mm -hmm. was like, well, I'm going to do this thing. How about we get Bobby involved? Bob Farster about the same time said, hey, you know, Bobby Zadar is living right across the river. Why don't you see if you can have him come in? And I'm like, I don't know who these guys are. And he goes, oh, Maniac Cop. I go, oh, <laughs> got it. Well, gee, that'd be great. You know, uh, let's get let's see if he wants to get involved. So we got him involved as well. I mean, Bob, um, Bobby was more of a, let's sit down and have a cup of tea or coffee or whatever, and we'll figure this thing out. And mm. that was my first experience with, with meeting him was, uh, going to, and I'm trying to think of what, what the town was. I don't, is it Dubuque? I don't remember yeah. what town it was and, and sitting, you know, meeting him downtown at a coffee shop and just sitting down and kind of hashing out what we were going to do and, how we were going to do it and how he was going to get paid. He had very specific requirements of what needed to be done, but what a sweetheart of a guy. So mm -hmm. actually yeah. watched your interview of him. As well. Oh, you, oh, you did. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I feel very fortunate to have met him. He was a really great guy. We spent, he sent, he said he was with us the whole weekend. So we got to talk to him uh, quite a bit. And yeah, he, he's just really, he was a really great guy. I couldn't believe like he had, uh, beat he had beat cancer and he wanted to start acting like immediately when his doctors were saying uh you gotta rest and he's like no i want to <laughs> well you know he had i think you did was that like in late 2012 yeah around there yeah yeah that was right after he had shot hog for us so when he shot hog for us he was actually still going through that because oh, was he really we, we had to help him i mean i say help him but he was still kind of recuperating from everything. He was mm -hmm. a little weaker. He was still doing, you know, but he was 
man, was he good. And when he stood up and did his part, did what he needed to do, and and it was and it was good stuff. So he was a great guy, great guy. I'm 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 extremely saddened that he's not going to be around to see this. And and if I have one of my big regrets of it not getting out sooner is, mm -hmm. is that that Bobby didn't Bobby didn't get to see it. So. Um, yeah, so uh, you you got the cast together and that, and uh, when did you start uh, actually shooting and and putting stuff to to video or or film? Uh, you know, uh, it was August of 2012. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, this is this is kind of the hard part for me because um, when. I started putting all this together and working with these these folks to try to make this thing happen. Um, I had several people who helped a lot up front and helped get a lot of this done. And the, this producer, actress who wanted to, to do this thing um, wanted the script to be reviewed and rewritten possibly by some other folks who had done more of these things. And being the the naive um, uh, person that that I was regarding filmmaking at that time, um, and very trusting, by the way. I trust everybody until they screw me over, but I trust everybody. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Let's have other people, because I know I'm not the best writer in the world. I think I came up with a good story. I'm not so sure how good the writing is. So let's bring in somebody who's done some more writing and let them review it and let them do a few things. And they did. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like that was when it, I started losing a little bit of control. And, you know, as a, as an independent filmmaker, I think one of the big, one of the big advantages to being an independent filmmaker is that you can control the process. Um, and you can control a lot of it, whether it's the writing, you know, the directing, the producing, you know, the, the editing, the music, everything you can get your fingers in as an independent filmmaker that you really can't when you're doing one of these big Hollywood productions. I mean, everybody has a role and they have to do it. And somebody's coordinating it maybe, but you, everybody has to do their own thing. Right. Well, I started giving up some of my control with that. And, mm -hmm. and that was like the first step. And that's hindsight telling me this now. I mean, I didn't mm -hmm. that way at the time. It was like, Hey, we're moving forward. We're getting more done. We're getting a better script. And um, but it's I, I didn't. It changed it. You know, it changed mm -hmm. it from as the, the dirty grindhousey type of thing that I really, really wanted to make um, to softening it up and making it maybe more of a crime drama thriller sort of thing. And I. I didn't recognize that at the time, but sure. that's kind of what started happening. So the next thing that kind of kicked me in the balls, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, you can swear out all you want on here. So go right ahead. Kicked me in the balls on this thing was two weeks before we were supposed to start shooting. Um, my wife and I separated, oh. my now ex-wife and I separated. Uh, I moved into my buddy Mikey's house and and was living in his spare bedroom where there was always a lot of noise in his house. So I wasn't sleeping well and it was a completely new environment. Um, I had my mom had a stroke 
and they found multiple aneurysms in her brain. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose my mom. Yeah. And then in a few days into the shooting, my favorite aunt from my childhood passed away. Oh no. So all this stuff happened in like a two week period, right? Went right before and right at the beginning of us starting to shoot this movie. My personal life was in absolute turmoil. Um, but I, we were, we were rolling. I mean, I couldn't, I didn't want to, and I couldn't stop this, this right. train that was coming down the tracks. So I tried to stay involved as much as I could and, um, you know, getting out to location in Elizabeth with everything else that I had going on, um, became a daily, if not every other day occurrence where I would leave work drive the 130 miles out to Elizabeth, either take stuff out, hang out with the crew, you know, get all this stuff done, um, and then drive back that night and go to work again the next day. Or mm. if I took the next day off, I could stay out there. But I wasn't involved in a lot of the shooting, and I wasn't involved in a lot of the stuff that happened. But yeah, it started in late August of 2012. Um, and it was, and I have to say too, I mean, the, the, the casting of the major characters um, was, once we chose who they were, putting them into the roles was, was pretty easy. Mm -hmm. A lot of the other actors who were involved um, was not as easy and trying to figure out who they were going to be and to fill those roles uh, was a little more difficult. And uh, that process and all of that stuff that leads up to doing a production, whether it's locations or, you know, getting the contract signed or doing all that, I mean, this was all new stuff to me. I had no clue. And my hands were way full. Right. Way full of <laughs> stuff that I had no clue what to even do. Not to mention, you know, all the, the personal stuff that was going on. So... Uh, suffice it to say, we 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 really had our hands full. I had my hands full. Um, I was lucky that I had. I was fortunate enough to, um, and I, I still don't recall exactly how it all happened. Um, but the the some of the crew that we had involved. Um, and got involved early on was just amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Engel did did a lot of the uh, set design for us, and she helped a lot with locations and and worked with with Bob Farster a lot. Bob again, Bob did a lot of location footwork for us and worked a lot with the people who were out there. Um, you know, I don't know how I got lucky enough to get Robert Patrick Stern, Rob involved in this whole process and his professional crew. I mean, the people that he has working for him are nothing short of amazing. And, and he break, brought in this whole crew of people to shoot this thing. It was, it was fantastic. Um, I got a, a little side note on that. Both Sid and Joe told me when I took them back to the airport, both of them said to me that they had never, that Joe said he had never worked with anybody as good as, as Rob. And mm -hmm. Sid said he was very impressed with how professional and how good the cinematographer and his crew were. So that in itself was 
a major buildup for me and thinking, wow, we might have something here. Yeah. I can um, imagine. Go <laughs> into that. We had, we didn't have a director mm-hmm. until about a little, uh, right around two months before we started shooting. We still, we had several people that we had talked to about directing. All of it kind of seemed to fall through. And surprise, surprise, um, Rob Stern, who was doing the cinematography for us, and and Jim Peterson, who ended up being my DT in the movie, um, lived in the same house with this guy named Tony Wash. And uh, Tony had directed a few things. Never, I don't think he'd ever directed anything like this. I mean, his were his horror films, but right. um, Tony got involved late in the game and uh, ended up becoming a very integral part of, of this production. So, um, so yeah, so we, <laughs> and I, I digress quite a bit there. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Not a problem at all. No, but we, but we, you know, we started shooting um, in, in mid late August and uh, it, I mean, beautiful scenery, beautiful setting, uh, Bob Farster's farm. It's fantastic stuff out there. And uh, we had a we had a lot of little hiccups leading up to a major hiccup. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I this before we even started shooting, we had an area where we wanted to shoot a scene with the pigs, and we had the pigs running around in this little area, and we kind of wanted to keep them close in an enclosed or closer area. So this area local farmer said, you know, use my shed out here, this little fence that we got out here. We just want you to clean this stuff up. So, right. you know, we are cleaning it all up and we got these, of course, we kind of got these city guys working as, as our crew out there cleaning stuff up. So that day they did it, cleaned it all up. The lady said, go ahead, burn it, you know, burn this trash pile you got. So they burned the trash pile. And, uh, and I don't know exactly what happened, but apparently the trash pile didn't burn out. Oh no. The wind picked up that night and we burned down the quote unquote shed barn at her place. Oh no. This was before we even started shooting. Wow. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, here's another two grand. We're going to have to build this shed back for this woman. We're going to have to do something and we got to get it, you know, and, and we're still going to shoot in this area at some point. Right. That's just the sort of stuff that just, seemed to happen to us and, and ha- keep kept happening all throughout this process. It just, I felt like every time I turned, there was another brick wall that we were running into and you just kind of go, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to be doing this? Sure. You know? And, and about five days into shooting, we had a major turnover um, with our producer actress and um, we, had to replace those roles and uh it was a huge upheaval for us um and and again i i i'm gonna have to digress a little bit but oh that that, go ahead the 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 incredible this was the this was the moment that i think made hog what it is um well it made it it made the team what the team is was when this happened um, I think in most situations and in most independent film situations, um, they would have probably folded up 10. That would have yeah. been it. I mean, 
so much, so much change, so major things happen. It's like you, you're done. But this was when um, Bob Farster, my our local guy, you know, went out and and remet with all of our location people and said, "We're gonna we're gonna push through this." Uh, Tony Wash um, was was integral in getting making sure the actors and and we're all up on this and and going to stick around and gonna make this thing work. Um, we had to bring in a new actress to take over a role. Um, Rob got his crew and said, hey, guys, we're going to have to redo some things. We're going to have to work some extra hours. We're going to have to do some of this stuff. Is everybody in? They all stepped up. And then the guy who who helped lead that charge was Sid. Oh, um, really? Sid and I sat down and talked. And I said, what, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And he said, I'd like to take over producer role. Oh, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, <laughs> really? And, you know, and it's like, he felt so strongly about this film that he wanted to become a producer on this film. And he took over a, a, a role, I think of mentorship and, and leadership and guidance with, with a lot of the actors and even some of the crew and, and, and helping that, process instead of just being the star of the movie and just so you know Sid never acts like the star of the movie Sid acts <laughs> like one of the guys sure um and I will say I mean Sid and I have become such good friends since since this all started I mean I just I love the man like a brother um and would do anything for him and and he's been there with me through a lot of tough stuff here um but Sid, Sid stepped up and, and I said, wow, he goes, I'll, I'll stay some extra days. He goes, uh, you give me a producer credit. You know, we talked a little bit about the money mm-hmm. and he goes, um, and, and I ended up negotiating this and I think it was from him and from his, his, um, agent, but the movie says Sid Haig in high on the hog. Sure. And it's he's never had a film that said Sid Haig in High on the High, whatever movie it is. Right. Yep. This is his first time at having that, and and I get chills still thinking about it because from my perspective, it was like again that for all the bad shit that was happening or had happened, this was one of those things where you go, wow, you know, here's this guy who has done so many different things and he's willing to step up, stick his neck out and do this for our, our production, you know? So, I mean, it was just a, it was just a, a huge heartwarming, wonderful <laughs> leadership. I mean, what else, I don't know what else you can say about how, how great it was to have Sid come up and say, yeah, this is what I want to do. Especially for a independent production. I mean, you know, Sid's been in some big things, so for him to do that, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it, 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 like I said, it, it to this day it blows me away. And I mean, he he that day that that happened. I mean, I mean, he earned my undying love. I mean, <laughs> it was there was nothing that that was ever going to change that. I mean, it was just amazing, you know, that he that he that he did that. So anyway, um, production got back start got started up again. 
you know, mm -hmm. and, and we, the other thing I think that happened at that time, and I don't think I've mentioned this, if I said this already, I'm sorry, but you know, we not only did we have to bring in a new, we brought in a new actor, but we, we, we needed some crew help. I mean, Tony took on a bigger role, not only as director, but did producing as well. Um, you know, because we'd had some shift changes and some things that have happened, we had to change the overall uh, schedule for shooting. Um, lots of things that happened. And we brought in this guy um, from St. Louis. And his name was, his name is Anthony Cabral. And mm -hmm. we called him Ace. And Ace became the AD on the film. And Ace stepped up and kicked ass and mm -hmm. took control over some major things that were going on with the movie and made, helped us all. I mean, like I said, because Tony took on a bigger role, you know, Rob had had to do some extra things and take on some different roles as well. We had a lot of people that were kind of having to pick up slack and 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 everything through this process. Ace came in and then took control when we were on set. And I think that him and Sid had a good relationship as well. And it was amazing. I still think back to the we had a big party scene where we had a band, you know, we had like 70 100 people on set for this party scene and you know ace had his megaphone out there and, was <laughs> and got everybody in line and made sure things were going you know so that everybody could hear tony when you know he yelled action and and what we what, all the things that needed to be done so ace was a big part of helping us get over that hump but like i said before this was that was kind of the defining moment for the film mm -hmm. I think everybody came together. Everybody said, we're going to make this thing and, and we're going to do the best we could possibly do. So that was good stuff. You know, um, the <laughs> that, that, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, yeah, that is, that is good stuff. Um, and, and great that people step up and I've, I've found talking and, and learning a lot about the indie film community over the years. It, it, it always is great to hear how, uh, people get behind a project and they want to get it done and, and they step up, you know, even if it means more work or maybe, you know, not as much pay or more hours, it's great to see people that just want to make something. Yeah. And I, and this, and this crew, and I, I will say it forever. I mean, they were the best thing ever. I don't think it would ever got done with any kind of other mix of people. Everybody just kind of worked together, pulled together and made sure that this happened. So, um, you know, but the, Again, going back to what I said before, I mean, part of the difficulty with that too was, is I was giving up much more, more and more control over what I wanted to make. And again, that's no offense or no affront to anybody who worked on it. I just didn't have the time or the ability to sit down and, and watch everything that was happening every day and making sure that it was turning into this, could be shot and made into this grindhouse movie that I wanted. Um, but it got done, you know, <laughs> it got done. And it was, and, and at that point, getting it done was a huge, 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 huge thing for us. Mm -hmm. So once it got done um, and everybody left and parted and, you know, there were a lot of good things that came out of it. In fact, uh, two people that met on set got married. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, we got some, there's some great stories that, that have, that have come out of this thing. Um, uh, just, just amazing, amazing stuff that 
that I don't even know all the firsthand stories because I wasn't there. A lot <laughs> of stuff I heard secondhand and thirdhand. So I'll leave it to somebody else to tell some of those stories. But just, just we then got it, started putting it together. And it was like, okay, now we got to do this post-production thing. And I'm like, where in the hell is the money going to come from? I don't, right. you know, I'm going through a divorce. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how this is going to get done. So we, we got, um, we got the, we started going through the process of getting that edit done and getting some of the, the post-production stuff done. And I don't know how I did it. You know, I had a month, some money left in an IRA. I had some money here and there and I started draining it, draining it all sure. uh, to finish this movie. Um, again, I kind of stayed out of it. Um, or I shouldn't say I stayed out of it, but I kind of let Rob and Tony and, you know, some other folks, um, Michael Heffler, who worked on the first edit of the movie, I kind of let them kind of take control over where we were going and how this was happening. And, you know, I had some ideas for music that I wanted in the movie. I had some ideas, you know, for how I wanted it to look, but a lot of it had changed a lot of what hog in my, the dirty, grungy, crazy hog that was supposed to be, wasn't there. I mean, it wasn't mm -hmm. there anymore. And, and I was just accepting that at that point. Um, so was, so was the first cut then uh, a tamer version than you had hoped? Yes. Yeah. Much tamer. Um, and again, I, I don't have anybody to blame for that except for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was, and I wouldn't blame anybody anyway. I mean, they helped me get this movie done, you know, and they, we got an edit done and we got, we got a movie done. Um, and I took it out and I started shopping it around and I started looking for distribution and I submitted to some film festivals and I was getting rejected everywhere I went. Mm -hmm. And it was very disheartening. It was like, wow. Um, this is not good. And I was getting a lot of feedback saying, we don't know how to, where to slot this movie. It's not horror. It's not drama. It's not comedy. It's not, not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And then I also heard, and you know, the storyline, some of the storyline isn't real clear. We don't understand who the bad guy is. I'm like, all right. Um, so at that point it was like, I think I had one film festival that, that after I had submitted to 15 or 20, uh, one of them came back and said, yeah, we'll show it. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of the last ones. And I said, no, I'm not going to show it. Uh, <laughs> I'm pulling it back. I'm sure. not, I'm just not going to do this. Um, it was very frustrating. So I'm not quite sure how this next thing happened. I think, and someone will correct me, I'm sure <laughs> if it's not true, but I think what happened next was Rob Stern was working with Ben Lewandowski on something else, or he knew Ben or mm -hmm. Ben had come to Rob or, and or Tony and said, Hey, um, I think you guys got some good stuff here. Let's see if we can't change it. And those guys are kind of like, well, you're going to need to talk to Kevin about this because that's going to mean more money. And I don't know what's going to happen with this. 
So Ben put together a rough um, trailer as what as how he would see taking the movie, mm-hmm. and and showed it to me, and I was like, "All right, this is more of what I thought we wanted to do, or what I wanted to do." So Ben and I met at Applebee's for the first time. I I walk into Applebee's and see this long-haired, bearded, crazy guy, and go, "Holy crap, you're Ben! You know, you're the you're the editor." He goes, yeah, and he starts throwing all this stuff out at me, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked. I'm like, all right, let's keep talking. So no exaggeration, we probably spent 100 hours on the phone talking about what, how do we make this a grindhouse movie? Mm-hmm. Is there enough there to turn this into more of the the dirty movie that I want it to be. And when I say dirty, I don't mean, you know, pornographic. I mean, dirty in that, you know, it's right. like a grindhouse style movie, right? The gritty, the gritty visceral type of, right. yeah, you, you felt like you could, this would be the B play on a drive-in or a C play, the midnight showing at a, at a drive-in theater, something that's along that exactly line. Exactly what I wanted, yeah. you know, and that's the thing when I, I didn't say this, but when I first started this, the, the whole, my whole purpose of doing this was not to become some great filmmaker or anything. It was, I wanted to leave some sort of a legacy. I want to create something other than my, you know, my professional writing in magazines or chapters and professional finance books. You know, I wanted something that was kind of cool to have <laughs> legacy, right? And I'm like, all right, let's see if we can do this. And we talked. Now, just so you know, at this point, I'm already into this thing for over 200, 250 grand, right? Right. This is turned in from a $20,000 low budget thing. I got $60,000 in investors, and then the rest has come out of my pocket. Sure. You know, eating peanut butter sandwiches, eating macaroni and cheese, doing whatever I can to save money, <laughs> all through, while going through a divorce and, and everything mm-hmm. else that's going on in my life to finish this thing. Ben goes, I think we can do this. It's not going to cost a whole lot more money. So I'm like, okay, in movie speak, it's uh, probably about double or triple what he really thinks. But um, we said, all right, let's see what we can do. And and at that point, we needed to kind of convince Tony and Rob into continuing on. Now, in, in their minds, and I and I understand it, they did, they did what they were supposed to do. They made a feature-length film, and it was a good feature-length film. It just it just didn't kick anybody's ass. So it was like what am I going to do with it? You know, right. I could have put it out there and maybe it had made a few hundred or a few thousand dollars or whatever. And then it would have been done. But that isn't, I thought we had more and Ben convinced me that we had more. So we sat down, we, we showed up in Bartlett and, and sat in a room and Ben had this, this board that he had put up with, I'm not kidding you, like a hundred post-it notes, different colors, you know, how he would lay out the the different um, scenes and what new stuff needed to be added in to try to tell the story better and how we're going to make this more grindhouse. We needed more nudity. We needed more <laughs> craziness. We needed to add a couple of scenes and we got to tell this story better. How are we going to do that? And through that meeting, 
you know, Rob and Tony and Ben and myself all kind of came up with these ideas. And I can't tell you who thought of what, when, and where or how, but we got this this crazy ass scene where there's it's kind of a a um a drug trip sort of thing that gets edited and added in based upon some great uh um claymation stuff that was done by a guy named Chris Chris Younts in um Britain. I mean the guy is the guy's amazing. He had done um a short in Tony's World of Death stuff. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so he got we we ended up using one of his things and inserted that in there. Um, and we thought, how, what else are we going to do? And how else are we going to do this stuff? And Rob and Tony were on board and, and we we're like, all right, now what are we going to do? So now we're, we're already up to 2016 now. So we're four years after shooting and, and there's a lot of people giving us crap saying, oh my gosh, where's this thing? When's, when's this thing ever going to be out? What's going to happen? Right. Um, and we're still getting it just so you know. <laughs> I imagine I was, I actually, I actually last, I think, uh, Tony and Ben both, I was like, you know, I saw this trailer for a film a little while back and whatever happened to that <laughs> a little while back, probably in 2014, you saw one. And yeah. About, about that. You yeah. You know, and that's the hard part about this. I mean, it, it's nobody gets how, unless you've made a film, nobody understands how, difficult it is to do it mm -hmm. and especially for a first-time filmmaker like myself i mean i'm really this is my first baby um and it's just it's gotten it's gotten to that point where we want to make it and we want to make it right so in the summer of 2016 um we end up renting this shed out it was a friend of tony's or something rented the shed out in South Elgin and and decided we're going to shoot for a few days in this shed. And to Rob and his crew's credit, they set this thing up, this beautiful set for uh, Ellie with the light. And they did it all with basically lightings and a, lighting at a table. Mm -hmm. And Ellie Church is our DJ and she tells this, helps tell this story. Um, ben Ben, uh, his view of it, and I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, Warrior, The Warriors. Yeah, yeah, The Warriors. Yeah, was The Warriors. My view of it was Vanishing Point. And if you've never seen Vanishing Point, you know, it's about a guy who drives his car throughout the desert trying to avoid the police. And Cleavon Little is the DJ. And Cleavon mm -hmm. Little is telling him what's going on. So, I mean, it's kind of a similar type of thing. Well, guess what? That's kind of what we did with Ellie. Ellie kind of tells the story about what's going on and kind of gives a little bit more of a background on, on things. And she did a fantastic job for us. Um, we shot, you know, we shot what looked like a strip club scene in this shed. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Engel put together this set in this, in the middle of this metal shed and it was hot, you know, and, and we had Keith Kelly do to play the, the, bad guy in this thing where he's sitting there getting like lap dances from these two beautiful women and, and, and he's hot and he's smoking a cigar and it's the middle of the summer. And we thought we about lost Keith a couple of times, but you know, he pushed through and, and we got that scene done. So we had some cool stuff, you know, Ben wanted a car chase scene. I'm like I can't afford the insurance on doing a car chase. <laughs> scene. So how about we just shoot a car going through the country 
which is what we ended up doing. So we got a great opening shot of this car driving through the country with one of my favorite songs of the 70s, Never Been Any Reason from Head East, uh, mm -hmm. who agreed to let us use, you know, use their song. Um, you know, so it's like it's all coming together. We're getting all this cool stuff. You know, and and this time in the post, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a little more ownership. I'm gonna take more control. Um, I kind of made sure that it was just me making all the final decisions, me reviewing the stuff, uh, and 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 Ben being my major sounding board. Tony and Rob were were integral, integral, and very important in us getting to that point. And then I'm like, I got to kind of take this over myself, guys. This is this has got to be my baby. Mm -hmm. um, I can't go through it again and say, you know, I didn't do it. You know, I don't want to sound like Frank Sinatra, but I want to say I didn't do it my way. Right. I want to do it my way. So, so that's how it happened. And Ben, I, the 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 edit job that Ben did on this thing is absolutely incredible um the stuff that he was able to to utilize um the the the, the great shots that rob had made and and the great scenes that that uh, our actors had had put together for us um i think got enhanced uh i think they got improved upon i think the story got told better um it, it was just amazing how it started to come together. You know, um, it, it, it's, it was more of being able to um, hone these actors' performances through the edit and sure. making that, making, I mean, this, this, is, and, I, and I, I have not seen, all of Joe Estevez's movie, I, or Joe Estevez's movies. I don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. I love Joe. I haven't seen all of his films, but I will tell you, this is a great acting job by Joe. Um, Sid is a a comes up with some great dramatic moments in this movie. Um, you know, we have you know our actress, our main actresses in this thing, uh, Fiona, Domenica, and um, I mean, she she took on a, a a bigger role, and her role came became bigger um, with Ben's edit. I think mm -hmm. um, Brenda Brenda Whitehead. Um, I mean, we had Bobby Zadar, of course. I mean, the way that Ben edited some of the stuff with Bobby was was is actually hilarious. How he was able to take a few of these shots and put it together and make it seem like he had more scenes and more stuff going on than maybe even what he did. <laughs> um, Sierra Sierra Timong, she was she was another one of Big Daddy's girls in this movie. I mean, just the the, the things that Ben were able was able to do with all the the we call them the girls, but the girls right. were Sid's family. Um, along with Katrina and, and Jesse Seaboyd. I mean, Jesse, Jesse's doing a lot of great stuff now. Jesse has this, this, this couple of scenes in this movie. And I think that it was one of those things that him and, and uh, Tony had developed this character to make him more of a, 
um, uh, transvestite, I think is the right word maybe. Sure. Um, but he, you know, he does this, this, some of this crazy, craziest stuff in this movie and he's, he's fantastic in, in doing it. So Ben had taken all this stuff, I think, and, and even, even made, made it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and made the made what seemed to draw out of these these actors even better. Not to mention adding in this these these crazy cuts. I mean, I don't know if he told you when you talked to him, but this movie's got like somewhere between thirty five hundred and four thousand cuts in it. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it, it it is so unbelievable. I mean, there are scenes that are so busy and so fast that that it will make you dizzy. Sure. But it's, but it's great. I mean, it's great storytelling and it's great in how it all comes, comes out and comes together. Um, you, you, well, I, I'm anxious for everybody to see it. I think there's a <laughs> lot, you know, and the post-production is, is really where this film was made. And, and sure. again, that's no offense to anybody who was involved in this thing. Um, having, having, I think a lot of people are concerned because it's old. It's, it's, it's seven years old or almost seven years old now since we originally shot the, the original scenes, mm-hmm. but I think that it's been freshened up so well, um, both through, you know, um, Steve Rodino did a lot of our color stuff and, and a lot of our special effects and all of our titling for us. I mean, the stuff that he was able to do, um, the music, the, the, all the things like there's a million names of people that I ought to be throwing out to you, but it's just, it was just such a great team effort that, that I think you're going to be impressed. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty impressive thing and, and we got it done, <laughs> you know, it's the important thing. You got it done. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and, and then it even becomes funnier because we got distribution too. You know, we get this thing done, and all of a sudden we get distribution. You know, we have Indican Films in LA mm-hmm. have, have, has taken on this project. Um, you know, they they um, they've done they 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 ask for a lot of stuff, and I don't know if anybody has ever done gone through this process before. I know none of my folks have done this, but it's like holy crap, you get. A, a distribution company involved and especially if you're doing international, which they've also taken on the international aspect of it. Now all of a sudden your deliverables are crazy. We had to go back and do stuff over that we had already thought we had done mm-hmm. from post. We thought it was all done. And then it's like, Oh no, we need this and we need this and we need this. And we need this. And it's like, oh, oh my gosh. You know, these, these poor guys that, you know, Ben and Jim Peterson and, Steve Rodino, all those guys had to work extra, extra hours. I mean, DC McAuliffe, who did our mute, or a lot of our com- composing for the movie, we had to have him redo a bunch of stuff and help us figure out all the individual files with the music. I mean, just the detail stuff that's involved. It just, just was unbelievable. So, but I could go on all night. <laughs> that's okay. I, I find it fascinating. I always love uh, backstories and, and, you know, origin stories and such of that with uh, indie films, because I think one of the things is people sometimes are taken aback by the aesthetic. If it's not quite, you know, uh, what they expect as far as like, you know, what they see in Hollywood. But I think, you know, it, when they realize just the amount of work, some of these uh, 
films like high in the hog and that go through and then when they come out looking as good as they do i mean just from the trailer i can tell i'm like you can tell there's a high production value but you know i think some of the, the, these stories need to be heard so people understand you know what work goes into some of these independent projects so people you know to do it right you, you don't want someone to just go oh look i can shoot this and yeah no problem done mm -hmm. hey there we go and it's uh, not quite like that <laughs> it's not and you know and i will say without a doubt in my mind that every single person who worked on this thing uh, was underpaid um, there was nobody <laughs> that got what they were worth in this in this thing and i and i i'm telling you i spent more money on this thing than i mean i could probably be retired right now if i uh <laughs> if i still had the money that i put into this movie but uh i mean it is it's one of those things like you just said the, the production value is there the 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 heart and the soul of this movie you know from shooting it in 2012 until now that we finally have this all the product delivered and it's and it's ready to go and we're just waiting for an announcement a press release from indican um saying that we're probably going to show it sometime in april we think we're hoping for in LA, um, we're going to show it a uh, theatrical uh, show it in the theaters out there. I'm going to probably set up a couple of uh, theatrical showings in the Chicago area, at least one in the Chicago area, hopefully one out near Galena for all the folks that were so supportive out there as well. Um, we're going to show it in uh, Kansas City. Uh, with Sid on Sid's birthday. Uh, oh, nice. He's uh, doing a show out in uh, Kansas City. Uh, just happens to be over his birthday weekend in July, and we're going to be out there for that. Um, so it's, you know, we're going to do some things, and it's I think it's going to be a fun ride. You know, I hope that it becomes that midnight theater, you know, with a cult following that, sure. that I think it should be. Um, I think that all of our our cast and crew deserve that kind of recognition. But, you know, the folks in LA, it's a different ball game. And, and, yeah. and say the stuff that you see with the high production value that comes out of LA and comes out of Hollywood, I mean, and it's great stuff. But I don't, I think when you watch this, um, you're gonna look at it and, and it's, it's different. And it's mm -hmm. not different because of the story. You know, I mm -hmm. think, I think, my story is good, um, but it's not that much different than a lot of stuff that's ever been made before. Um, I mean, I think the cinematography is fantastic. You know, I think the directing in the movie was great. I think that the acting, the, the, the people who did that, I mean, we had some great efforts in the acting um, in, in, in the film. You know, all the post-production stuff has been, is, is, is good stuff. Mm -hmm. but none of it, I mean, from, but, but the biggest thing in my mind is the edit. I mean, I don't, and, and I'm not a film buff, a huge film buff, I shouldn't say, but I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you will, after this, I think you will see some copycats of this <laughs> um, and, and probably some that will take it even further and, sure. and push it over the edge um, even more so. So, I mean, if, if people don't like it and people, and there's going to, we're going to get a lot of people that are going to say, ah, this is crap. I don't like this. I don't like this style of filmmaking, blah, 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 blah. Fine. Blame me. <laughs> My fault. But if you love it, 
I mean, everybody on this cast and crew deserve all the credit in the world. I mean, the, 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 the effort that was put in, the things that were done, but the unique part of this movie is really, I think, when people watch it, are going to be this edit. And a lot of people won't think about it that way, but I really do think that that's the real uniqueness of, of, of High on the Hog. Well, I'm excited about it. And one of the things I do like about indie films is you're making stories that you want to make, not necessarily ones that are going to appeal to the most people. But you know what? That, that Nothing wrong with that because there is audiences out there for this. And, and just from what I can see on the trailer, uh, there's definitely, I think, you're going to have an audience for this, not only just because of your cast, uh, but from the story type as well. Um, I think you'll definitely have an audience out there for it. Well, we're a very pro-weed movie, too, so I think <laughs> we're going to develop some audience just for that. I mean, it's, it's a very pro... I mean, I know we're kind of getting behind the eight ball on this because it looks like Illinois is going to eventually get legalized, too. But sure. uh, it's... it's um, When we first started shooting this, this was that wasn't the case. Yeah. Now well, it's uh, becoming a bit old hat, but it's <laughs> a very pro-legalization movie, too. So I think we'll get some following... Um, uh, in, with that with that group of uh, movie watchers as well so oh yeah the, the stoner crowd of uh, stoner films uh, definitely will be tuning into this i'm sure uh and you know that's what i found interesting just from seeing the bits about it is you know you mentioned how long it's it, the, the journey it's taken for this film yet the subject matter you have in here like a farmer his farm losing his farm you know having resort to 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 growing weed weed legalization you know some of those themes in that that you seem to have in here are still pertinent today so i think uh i think that uh is interesting how how uh you know what you have in here is is still kind of uh can apply to today and i think that'll appeal to some people as well so i appreciate that yeah i i i hope so i really do um you know i i think that there's i think it's a good story to tell I, I really do. I think we've got some good some good stuff in there. Um, you know, I don't think law enforcement's probably going to like how we put <laughs> that too much. But uh, uh, other than that, I, I do think that uh, we did a pretty good job with 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 a lot of of different demographics. And you know, that wasn't necessarily our intent when we did that when we did this. But when you take the step back and look at it, there's a lot of demographics that we hit with this movie. So, and, and, you know, that's the other thing about this. That's so great. When you say stoner movies, this is the kind of movie that you're going to have to watch two or three or four times. If you want to pick up everything. Sure. Ben has put so much stuff in here <laughs> and there's hidden things in here that, mm -hmm. that you, you aren't going to see on the first time through, and you may not see the second time through. Hell, you may not see it unless you happen to stop it in the right spot in the movie. But there's <laughs> stuff in there that that, that people are going to be interested to be looking for. So. Sure. Well, I look forward to its eventual wide release and, and uh, being able to see it. And I know many people out there are. Uh, and as you said, you don't have a date yet. Uh, but is there a website or a place they can go to keep up on your stuff or get updates for High on the Hog? Absolutely. High on the Hog, the movie.com is our website. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. And I hope that... Uh, Everybody's out there following us and and watching for those updates. We'll get we'll get them out as soon as we know anything. And I'm hoping it's very very soon. So hopefully you'll hear something within the next 
few days, if not within the next week. So fantastic. Well, I'll definitely put links to those as well in the, uh, on the website for this episode. And, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I, I, this is, uh, glad I got a chance to talk to you about this. Like I said, I saw the trailer and, uh, uh Ben, uh, kind of, uh, grabbed my ear and said, Hey, uh, I think, you know, you should, should uh talk to uh kevin and i'm glad we did because this was fascinating stuff uh, and and it'll definitely uh help i think in my viewing of high on the hog though with the cast you had alone i was already invested <laughs> in it so i That's mean great. well we appreciate it i i, I know we all appreciate it and, and i appreciate your support and and allowing right. me to do this with you so this is fantastic Great. Well, uh, there you have it, folks. Uh, High on the hog. Keep an eye out for it. We will have links and you'll want to keep up to date because I think, especially if you're an independent uh, film fan, you're going to want to check this out. So uh, thank you uh, very much, uh, Kevin. I appreciate this. And uh, I guess we'll just say good night, everyone.